Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Brian Levitt joins us now, global market strategist at Invesco. Some guests had the courage, the confidence to stick with it all the way up year to date. Brian Levitt, one of them. Brian, you say this, I would view any near-term challenges as a buying opportunity. Brian, why are you still so constructed this equity market? Well, typically, if you look if you look in U.S. history, any time inflation has peaked or come down or just about any time the Fed is done tightening, you've done well as an investor over the next couple of years. So, you know, when I say near term challenges, look, we know that we still have to see the lagged effects of all the policy tightening and the economy is still going to moderate or even weaken from here. But but history is on our side. If you, if you can look beyond just a handful of weeks or a handful of months, markets tend to do very well in the aftermath of tightening cycles, and we're getting quite close to the end of the tightening cycle if we're not already there. You guys are the buy side. You've got all your internal analysts, and you're also, of course, speaking to people pitching equity and bond ideas. And of course, Invesco is a legendary bond house. If we have sticky inflation, Brian Levitt, what does that do to revenues of companies? They do better, don't they? They do better, although I don't think that, infl- you know, when you when we say inflation, we don't mean, you know, that inflation is going to sit here at these levels. But but to your point, they're going to come down, but likely be higher. Inflation is likely going to be higher than it was in the last cycle, which you're right. That is nominal growth and that is supportive for for corporate earnings. The, the challenge that we have, of course, though, is that, you know, how much tighter is the Fed going to get and how much more inverted is the seal curve going to get and what type of economic response? are we going to have? So we still haven't, we still haven't seen all of that. So I, I, there's still challenges here, and we would still favor more quality investments rather than you know thinking about what the beginning of the new cycle looks like. But again, um, investors should should I caution them on being too defensive here. Even if you even if you have some retracement in in the next few weeks or the next you know few months, ask yourself: Will things be better over the next couple of years? Will inflation be back to a more reasonable level? Will the Fed be on the other side of this? And will the economy be recovering? And and I think the answer to all those questions are yes, which means we, you know, we don't want to be too defensive mm-hmm. now. I've got to go to the allocation as global market strategist is too important. U.S. domestic quality versus international quality. Which way do you tilt? 
I think we need to be increasing our exposure to international quality. I mean, the U.S. does well in these uh, in the in the more uh, challenging economic environments that could be ahead of us. But if you're thinking ahead to, you know, the next stage of this, the end of tightening, well, that means um that means the interest rate differential between the U.S. and Europe and some of the rest of the world is is going to narrow. And, and that tends to mean the end of a strong dollar environment, which we've had for quite some time. So most investors are light on international, you know, building up positions, you know, closer 15, 20 percent international equity exposure, I think, makes a lot of sense here, particularly given the valuations and the catalyst of what could be um, finally peak dollar. Brian, given what you just said, then, are you anticipating a change in equity market leadership? The equity market leadership will change when we get to um, when we get to the other side of the economic downturn, or at least in the middle point of the economic downturn. That's when you start to see more value, more cyclical emerging markets, smaller caps participate. So in the near term here, um, it's it's quality, it's it's larger cap, it's growthier. And we're certainly seeing that. In the, in the in the market activity, the shift comes um, typically in the in the midpoint of the economic downturn and, and the market getting ahead of what will be the new cycle. So I don't think we're there yet, uh, but we're on the path to that. Brian, what do you say to people who have been in this market who are hearing a lot of people complain about narrow breadth in the equity market, the outperformance of Uber cap, mega cap tech names like NVIDIA, Microsoft and others. Brian, what's your message to them this morning? Well, the message is that this is playing out as we think market cycles tend to play out. If you remember in the beginning of the year, the market thought um, we were getting a soft landing. And so you saw value, small caps, emerging markets do very well. That was, that was call it mid-October through uh, probably the end of February. And when inflation remained sticky and the Fed kept raising rates and the concerns uh, of a recession became more heightened, well, that's when we shifted back towards a more defensive posture, quality, larger cap, growthier. So so I'd say that these markets are, are playing out as you would expect them to play out, given what the trajectory of the economy is likely to be. And you'll see broader participation in these markets on the other side of this. Again, we're not there yet, but at the midpoint of the downturn in economic activity, you'll see a shift towards uh, investors favoring those names that are going to do well in a, in a cyclical economic recovery. Well, a handful of names doing well right now, and one of them is NVIDIA. Brian, we've got to leave it there. Brian Levitt there, Evan Vesco. We thought we'd dive into this a little deeper than the back and forth of OMG and VDA. Mandeep Singh knows that when you do double E electrical engineering, it starts out with the Wheatstone Bridge and then you cross a bridge over to differential equations and heaven forbid we get Maxwell and magnetism right. Mandeep Singh owns the high ground at Bloomberg Intelligence. Mandeep, this is a kid out of Taiwan off the boat, Oneida, Kentucky, for t- population 410. He is a textbook immigrant. He parachutes into Corvallis in Oregon State and magic happens. When did the magic NVIDIA happen? 
I mean, this has been going on, uh, I think, for the last almost 25 years. And he has built that, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of uh, focusing on a niche segment and then really expanding the scope of computing. And in, in a way uh, that it's so innovative in terms of disrupting the existing framework around leveraging CPUs to really a new style of computing. And I think that is where... Everyone has been caught off guard with the pace of the change that right. it can bring. But clearly, uh, the innovation is there, and, and that's why everyone is so excited. Take us not to the hopes and dreams of AI three years, five years, ten years out, but the, the, the here and present, not danger, but the here and present reality for NVIDIA. Can they sustain the growth now of a 55 multiple stock? Well, so I, I think it's it's a little hard in, in terms of looking at it, you know, uh, beyond 2023, simply because right now we have easier comps and we are just uh, past this, you know, uh, cloud digestion phase. So this happened to be a much shallow inventory correction. And what everyone is expecting is for the market to really do well in terms of the demand side on the data center side. To, to hold up for the next six to eight quarters. I don't know if that will be the case given how much uncertainty we have, but one thing we know is there is this secular shift from CPUs to GPUs, and you know, really what they're selling is almost 200,000 for a box, a server box that used to cost 10,000. So look at the ASP increase that they have been able to generate from this new uh, device that they have created. And that is quite powerful. When you see a company, you know, uh, kind of raising ASPs like this, that is very positive for the gross margin. And I, I think that's what you're seeing in their results right now. Mandy, the cheap guide to the market action this morning is just to say, well, NVIDIA's up because they unveiled some new products. I wonder how many people actually know what those new products do. Mandy, you're someone who probably does. Can you tell us what this new product lineup is? Yeah, so uh, the... Biggest use case is around training these large language models. And what you need for this is uh, a lot of computational power and a GPU can do it in a very short period of time compared to the traditional CPUs. Even if you stack a lot of CPUs, you can train these large language models. So one thing they have proven is not only is it an innovative way, it's the only way you can train a large language model. And think of you know our computational requirement across the board, across industries. You need this uh, type of technology to enhance the productivity and, and that's something that's not like it's going to drive a massive refresh cycle and that's why everyone is so excited because the existing market needs to refresh to the new way of computing and, and that's a pretty large market when you think of semiconductor as a $600 billion market. <laughs> Who is that competition? Competition would be, uh, you know, AMD, Intel to an extent. The problem is they are so far behind, especially Intel in terms of focusing on GPUs. And that's where, you know, they missed the boat uh, for at least five years where they just didn't think this market was big enough. And they can still catch up. I mean, there were some rumors about uh, NVIDIA partnering with Intel so that Intel can make their GPUs. But that's a foundry play. I'm talking about that 200,000 ESP component that NVIDIA is selling. Who can compete with that? And I think AMD is the closest right now for that, okay, along with the hyperscalers. And yeah. the simplistic view of a fool like me is it's about gaming. Forget about that. What does NVIDIA mean, Mandeep, for Procter & Gamble? 
for Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing for Ford Motor. Yeah, so, I mean, these companies spend billions of dollars on their uh, IT, uh, you know, over time. And when you think about their data center footprint, that will completely go away. It will be on cloud. And what large language models do is not only you need to rent the basic cloud capacity, you will run your AI on cloud. And that's where NVIDIA has positioned itself really well. It has partnered with the likes of Microsoft. I don't think all the hyperscalers are on board with NVIDIA, but for a traditional enterprise, they don't need to spend on IT anymore, especially on the infrastructure side. They will outsource everything to these hyperscalers, and NVIDIA is trying to becoming one of them. Mandeep, when he talked over the weekend, I think everyone's BS star is up. You can translate what that means. Mandeep, when he talks over the weekend and uses the hyperbolic language like tipping point, the dawn of a new computing gauge and all those things, Mandeep, there are some people out there who just don't have the specialized knowledge to really understand where this is going. And it's a market of faith for many people in the stock market who just see the momentum and just think, I need to be a part of this. Mandeep, do you have any kind of cheat guide whatsoever to draw a distinction between what is real and what might be BS? Well, so I, I, I look at, you know, who are the key players who will determine the fate of this market? And they are quite concentrated. I mean, I mentioned about hyperscalers. Then you have got Apple on the smartphone side. What will Apple end up doing in terms of large language models? That will have a big influence in terms of the uh, size of the opportunity for someone like NVIDIA. If they do everything in-house, then they're going directly to TSMC. Right now, NVIDIA has a technology, it has a monopoly, but it's going to TSMC to make its chips. If Apple does the same, and granted, they may not have that technology that NVIDIA has, but clearly you've got, you know, eight or 10 players that will determine the size of the opportunity and how this shakes out. And that's where I think you have to watch out for what they do, not what they say. And uh, only time will tell what the hyperscalers will do. I, I can't imagine them paying $2 billion to NVIDIA every, every year to upgrade their uh, GPUs. It's wow. just too much CapEx. And, and that's what we are talking about here in terms of the uh, annual CapEx spend on something like this. Mandeep, excited for your coverage on this story for the years to come, never mind the weeks. Yeah. Mandeep Singh there of Bloomberg Intelligence. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Greg Vallier knows as this ties directly in to our sailors and our officers as they are on aircraft carriers, submarines, and everything else in the military and this budget debate. Mr. Vallier is with AGF Investments. Greg, you absolutely nailed it this morning by getting beyond the cable TV idiocy to the Senate's outrage over the defense of our nation. What are we going to see? Not in two days. What are we going to see in five and six days from senators worried about the Pentagon? Well, it's going to be a big deal. And Lindsey Graham, a, a famous hawk, uh, blew a gasket on, I think it was Fox, on, on Sunday because uh, the defense spending in this bill will be lower than the rate of inflation. So uh, for a country that doesn't spend as much as people think we do uh, out of our GDP on defense, this really angers a lot of Republicans. It angers Republicans, but I'm going to suggest the Democrats are going to show up as well. I mean, is it a this is critical, Greg, is it a bipartisan fury of our officers and sailors, our infantrymen at risk? Is it bipartisan in the anger here? It is, but we can't default. I think people realize that a default would be even worse. And during the course of this year, Tom, I think there'll be supplemental funding for the Pentagon. There's ways you can you can still get money uh, in uh, from the government. And I think that the, you will see more spending during the year. But there's a lot of complaints right now. Just to bring it to tonight, there is a big vote tonight in the House Rules Committee. I think that Kevin McCarthy will prevail. But I think this thing drags on because of Lindsey Graham and others into next week. And it it probably gets right up until June 5th. Well, Greg, that's what I was going to ask. Do we have a week? Well, that's a good question. Here's what I would say. Uh, If we hit the 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 deadline, uh, the Treasury can sell. Uh, bonds out of the highway trust fund. Treasury can sell bonds out of the social security trust fund and pay them back a week or two later. So I, I, I think it's highly unlikely that we would see a default. And I would add, if there actually looked like there would be a default, I think the markets would get so jittery, it would finally send a message to Washington. Greg, we ask ridiculous questions in politics sometimes, like who wins, right. who wins, who won yeah. after the weekend? Who do you think is doing a better job? of just presenting what they got out of negotiations. Is it the president or is it Speaker McCarthy? Well, I think the president's always been underestimated as a negotiator, and I think he did a, he did a pretty good job. The surprise to me, though, is Kevin McCarthy. I, I, thought, I think he was held in low regard until a few months ago. He became House Speaker. Uh, he got something done. They, they didn't get all that they wanted. In fact, in this final deal, a lot of what they wanted got whittled down, uh, especially on the right. uh, total spending cuts. But uh, no, I give both of them credit, but I think Kevin McCarthy is now a serious player. Um, Greg, the senator from West Virginia got a pipeline yeah. moving south from right. Harris. I believe it's Harris, West Virginia, on south across the border. Maybe it's Harris where it goes across the border to Pennsylvania, just southwest of Appomattox. Can you give out pipelines? There it is, from Bradshaw, West Virginia to Pennsylvania, Virginia. Okay, there's a pipeline for Joe Manchin. 
Can you give conservative Republicans a pipeline? You can give people anything. And this was uh, audacious. Uh, that's typical of Joe Manchin. He gets what he wants because he's still whispering that he may run for president. So everybody has to placate him. Well, what about the 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 the, 20, the ten, the twelve, the fourteen people blocking Speaker McCarthy's efforts? Can he give them a bone that's highway like or pipeline like? Sure, I'm I'm sure there are people who are going to have post offices named after them. There's lots of deals that are being cut right now to get this one holdout <laughs> to vote for them later in the day. Hey, Greg, what do you make of what the Republican candidates for the presidency have got to say about the deal that was struck? Well, DeSantis was really strident and said, you know, it was a terrible deal and we're still headed toward, you know, financial ruin. It was a pretty strong uh, statement. Uh, DeSantis now is in a position where he's got to throw bombs because he's so far behind that I don't, I'm not sure he can catch up. Greg, just a final word on defense spend in America. Yep. And not for me to say what that level should be, by the way. Greg, can you just uh, go through the numbers for us and sure. really paint a picture of how much a percentage of overall spending defense spend actually is and get to the heart well, of the issue that if you do want to do well, something about the deficit in this country, don't they have to rethink what's happening with defense? Well, I would say no, because we're not spending enough on defense. As a percentage of GDP, uh, we're spending less than 3%. We complain all the time about Canada. They're not spending 3% of GDP. A lot of other countries aren't as well. And I think that the, as the Wall Street Journal consistently points out, we're not spending enough on defense by any historical yardstick. So, Greg, if that's the case, where does that leave any negotiations over ever cutting spending and doing something about the deficit? Well, you got to talk about revenues at some point. I mean, at, at some point, mm. we have to at least look at taxes. I'm not saying we need a big, huge one, but fearless forecast, guys. The next big fiscal story is the expiration of the Donald Trump tax cuts in a couple of years. That will make this fight we just went through look like a picnic. Greg Valier, looking forward to that of AGF Investments. Okay. If you could be long one thing right now, it would probably be NVIDIA. If you could have been short over the last two weeks, something, it probably would have been the Treasury market. Katie Kaminsky was short that Treasury market, the chief research strategist at Alpha Simplex, joins us right now. Katie, walk us through the thinking and whether that trade is still very much on. Well, let's just think about where we are in the cycle and let's think about what's happening in terms of long-term cash flows. I think people may be underestimating the effect of higher rates on long-term cash flows because they're just so used to things going back to normal. And so what we've seen is that the momentum in fixed income markets is short. And in some sense, the equity markets are saying that things are okay. And if that's the case, then the curve, and we're going to tolerate the inflation, then the curve is going to have to steepen. And particularly the long end of the curve is what I'm looking at. How do you link the equity market on a trend-based basis with the bond market? How do you take trend-based analysis of the 10-year yield and fold it over to trend-based analysis of the NASDAQ? Well, this is a good question because I think what's happened to us as those of us who are math on the mathematical, more technical side, is that we've seen some very strong themes. We've seen strong equity momentum this year. We've also seen continued support of the short trade and fixed income, but we've been somewhat alone because most people have gone back to being bullish on bonds this year. 
And what's happening is you've seen correlations shift in March and you're seeing new themes emerging, but the correlation between stocks and bonds, should we go back to an inflation, rising rates, or even a pause narrative is actually positive on being short bonds and more neutral on equity. So you got to think about the correlations and how they're moving right. as well as the signals. With the correlations and also with trend following, can you call a bear market low in October, we're now up X percent on SPX. And I mean, I get the correlation study, but actual trend-based analysis, Wells Wilder 101, did we establish a bull market in October? Well, I always say that we don't pick the bottoms and we don't pick the tops. What we do is we look for confirmation. And I can definitely say that we've seen a massive turnaround starting in October. That has happened across multiple asset classes. It was sort of peaked uh, in March when we saw sort of some weakness related to the banking sector. <clears throat> but we have really seen a pretty strong consolidation period since October. So I'm waiting for that to shift. And the new trend may be long well, equity, short bonds okay, again. Katie, this is a yeah. wheelhouse. And I know you're looking at this in the Andrew Lowe box, just to the left of the third base dugout at Fenway. But the bottom line is the great Luis Yamato would say, okay, you've got consolidation and distribution, and then what? What is the then what for you in the equity market? What is the signal to buy more NVIDIA? Well, I'd say I, I am a little more concerned about the equity market because it has had such a strong run. Could it keep going if we Possibly. I think I'm more interested in seeing a breakout in fixed income, which is going the other direction because we're seeing that stocks have come up so much. That suggests the equity market thinks is very optimistic and thinks that sticky inflation is going to be tolerated, which means that long-term cash flows are more at risk. So for equities, it's actually looking pretty positive. People in general are thinking that we're just going to tolerate some moderate inflation. The problem is going to be is when people realize, wait a minute, look at these inflation numbers, they're coming back up instead of going down more. I think what you're talking about, the UK, is a perfect example. So, Katie, I think what we're trying to figure out is whether the high yields that you predict are going to be a challenge or not to the narrow leadership so far in the equity market, which has been dominated from big cap growth. Is that a challenge or not? Definitely. If you think about growth, I mean, growth has struggled a lot and it was the, the most impacted sector during last year. And now that we've had a little bit of a slowing in interest rates, they've seemed to have really raged back. So you're right. If we do see longer term cash flows go up, that is the sector that could be the most vulnerable because it has the most duration risk. Well, that would be a big challenge, Tom to the index level gain to the year so far for the NASDAQ, which is up more than 30. Katie, how would you explain then how resilient the index level story has been? Let's take the NASDAQ, which had, I think, one of its biggest weekly gains of the year so far just last week on the NASDAQ 100, despite this move that we've seen in the Treasury market. What explains that? Well, I think I personally think we're only reverting back to recent highs in yields. I'm looking for a breakout. I'd say that we've just seen a little bit of movement in fixed income relative to where we were earlier this year. And that's why we've seen a resurgence. So I'm much more thinking about the more extreme scenario as opposed to a small adjustment back towards the high. Remember the 10 year went to 4% earlier this year. We're not back at that level yet. So I'm kind of watching for that more than sort of the tech resurgence in a, after a period of really, really strong tightening of rates, which we saw last year. Katie, let's go all CTA. Uh, commodities, help me here. The commodity trend is lower. Copper's off a cliff. It's a China play. I get all the fundamental chat. What does the trend following look like in long-trending, persistently trending commodities? 
Well, this is a good question because commodities have also been decoupled somewhat from equity markets. We've seen downward pressure in commodities, particularly the base metals, also energy. Um, One thing I've been watching quite a bit is the energy trade. I mean, we've seen a massive downward trend and there's all sorts of questions all the time from investors. When are we going to see that move up again? So for right now, it doesn't look like that's going to happen soon, but it is something that has been in a downward trend for a very long time, uh, which could, you know, if we see some sort of movement, there could be something there, but you're correct. Commodities have been trading recessionary, equities have trading optimistic, and treasuries also somewhat optimistic in terms of where yields are. Katie, this was great. Just to clarify your thoughts on some things, Katie Simplex, Kathy Kaminsky there. Katie Simplex. Simplex. It's going to be a new name. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. We need to speak to someone expert on this, also on macro strategy of North America at State Street. Lee Farage joins us uh, this morning. Lee, are you going to go to the, you're going to go to see Luton, whatever it is, at the Hatters when Liverpool stops by? I would love to. Yeah, I mean, it'd be fantastic to go and watch a Premier League game at Kenilworth Road. And whether I'll be able to get a ticket, I'm not sure because, <laughs> as Jonathan said, there's not many tickets available. So I think it'd be pretty pretty tough to get one of those. We're going to see the ticket with inflation. Let's just go to this because I think it's something, John, and you are living with your families and all. The inflation in the United Kingdom is of an absolutely different character. We're talking about sticky inflation in America. How sticky is 9% food inflation in the United Kingdom? Well, I think the food inflation is actually higher than that, Tom. It's 19% food inflation. You know, overall inflation is, is coming down, but still in the eights. Um, yeah, it's remarkable <laughs> given how the consumer in the UK is struggling, how real incomes are falling, how mortgage rates have gone through the roof, which is very different from what we're seeing here. New mortgages here are, are, are higher, but not existing because we're all 30-year fixed. In the UK, people's existing mortgage payments in some cases have trebled. Um, and yet inflation is proving remarkably sticky, and this is such a difficult position for the Bank of England. And it was interesting last week, we got the very strong inflation, we're pricing 
four highs by the Bank of England, but sterling didn't go up. Sterling went down last week on the back of that because now the market is focused on, okay, you're going to have to hike a number of times to cure inflation, but what is that going to do to the economy over the sort of, you know, the, the medium term? And, and the answer is it's, it's not going to be pretty. It felt a bit like September, a replay yeah. of some of that, of some of that, Lee. What's been amazing just sitting here, Lee, over the last couple of weeks, speaking to people like you, people we admire in the market, is just feeling the tide start to turn. All this enthusiasm for the rest of the world, for Europe, breaking down with a couple of data points out of China, a reality check in the Eurozone, if you will, with Germany potentially heading into a recession. And Lee, at the same time, you've got this monster app performance on the market cap weighted S&P 500, on the NASDAQ, relative to the equal weight, relative to what's developing in China, overseas and elsewhere. And Lee, I'm just wondering, and Tom and I have been talking about this going into the weekend and coming out of it, whether we face another period of US equity market exceptionalism because of this AI theme? Well, I think because of the AI and also because of the relative strength of the economy. And, you know, I've been on here and I've talked about this before. The U.S. is in a very different place from the rest of the world. And, and 91% of mortgages being 30-year fixed will do that. The consumer here is just not hurting. We have a very strong labor market. We still have excess savings from the pandemic. Yes, it's limited to those of, of higher income, but they're spending it. And at the same time, we have this fixed rate economy, whereas you look at the rest of the world, RBNZ stopped hiking last week, worried about the consumer because mortgage rates have gone up. Bank of Canada have stopped, RBA have stopped, Bank of England have got to carry on, despite the fact it's probably going to mean a deep recession in 2024. The US is in a very different place. So you've got the AI element, you've also got the underlying economy, which is in a very different place from the rest of the world because of the structure of our, our lending market. So Lee, this is peculiar for you, almost original you sound almost constructive the u.s equity market is that right uh, it's a relative story jonathan i'm not sure i'm constructive on the equity market absolute terms but relative you you've got to look at the u.s and say look the u.s economy is in a very different place from the rest of the world the fed you, you know, we're still pricing the fed cutting before anyone else. And that bit I don't understand. We've taken out a lot of the cuts, rightly so. We still have a cut by January, and yet no one else has a cut in that early. Why have we got an earlier cut in the US when the economy is holding up so much better than elsewhere and the inflation is still sticky? We saw the PCE on Friday. Why are we going to be cutting before everywhere else that's actually, you know, flirting with recession, in recession, on the edge of recession. We're nowhere near it yet. So, Lee, just listening to you, they're the kind of views that I'd be wanting to push through the FX market, develop a little bit more dollar strength. We've seen some of that. Lee, as you look at that differential potentially closing, how would you play that theme? I think you play it through the dollar. Um, yeah, yeah, I've been bullish on the dollar for a little while. It, it's rallied back well. We got over 140 on dollar yen. That That's probably coming to the end of the story. But I think when you look at euro dollar, you look at, cable, um, you look at the dollar against the commodity currencies, I think this has got further to go. I mean, I think, look, eventually the dollar's going to be a great sell. It's overvalued, it's overowned, etc. But what we're seeing is institutional investors are now buying dollars again. The first time we've seen that since March. They've been strong dollar sellers. They flipped around. They're buying it again. They're looking at this U.S. exceptionalism story again. So I think that, that momentum and, and, and this relative rate pricing can carry the dollar through 
probably during Q3, we're going to see more dollar gains. We're up around 3% from the lows in the DXY. I think there's another 3 to 5% to go on that story. Oh, give me some levels then. We've got dollar index right now just short of 104, cable at 124, euro dollar a break of 107 earlier, 107.43. What do I need to look out for on the single currency, Lee? I think we're going to see 105 before we see 110 in, in euro dollar. We're going to go below 105 before we see 110 again. Sterling, I think we're going to see below 120 before we see 125. Um, and I think Sterling, we're going to get down back down towards 115 over the course of the second half of the year. Wow. But I, I think certainly right now, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the, the, the emphasis now. We've seen the sort of dollar-yen move. I think the <clears> emphasis now is going to switch right. to dollar against Europe. I just think this is too important. I mean, you two are seriously knowledgeable about, about this. The new coach at Chelsea? Are you kidding me? I thought you want to talk. You want to go from a one fifteen call on cable to Pochettino over at Chelsea? Well, just think how about Pochettino's getting paid and Sterling gets to convert. It's going to be great. I mean, but the bottom line is the guy's supposed to go to the Tots and he went to Chelsea. What's that about? I, you'll have to ask the man himself over at Spurs. You know, I, I just, see what Dan Levy's up to. I've got no to idea. Get on a plane, John. Get over there and I've figure got, out I've what, got no what idea. is going on. No Lee idea. Farage. I mean, just Lee making some monster calls there, TK. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.